0: one 55 seconds here at Radio Free Brooklyn and uh it is also 601 and 55 well 602 and four seconds also in resonance FM in the UK it will be a Sunday in the UK um sitting with you you're about to start listening to sitting with Jan Luca I'm Jan Luca I will be sitting with you till 7 p.m sitting with me today is 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 piano player and funk meister john cleary if you are down in new orleans at all and you ask around uh and try and figure out or try and find out uh who is the finest purveyor of classic new orleans piano is uh you'll get one answer and that's john cleary uh, happens to sound like me, as a matter of fact, but he's an honorary New Orleanian. Been down there about uh, four-ish decades, I think. You might correct me. Um, we're both going to co-host today, actually, because it also happens to be Johnny Guitar Watson's birthday. And if you listen to me a oh, couple of years ago, the last time his birthday landed on the same day as sitting with Jan Luca you might know who i'm talking about um but johnny guitar watson anyway is a fantastic uh r&b blues jazz he was a musical chameleon did pretty much everything um died too soon and he would have today this wednesday he would have 80 uh i'm bad at my maths 86 candles on his birthday cake i thought it was 85 but i believe it's 86 and um so uh john cleary and myself are gonna uh give him a salute there's a lot of him to cover so we're just gonna sort of almost scrape the surface or get close enough to the surface to scrape so in the meantime um, I'm just going to start off by playing uh, something by um, uh, Johnny Guitar Watson and something by my guest John Cleary uh, back to back. So I'm going to start. Uh, I'll start on the easy one because he had a hit with this. He's quite well known for it. Um, this is one of his later tracks and uh, a real mother for you.
1: I
2: wanna buy a new car But the price ain't right. <laughs> ain't that cold be a like cheap powder. Yes, it do Start riding the bike huh. Listen They're making milk out of powder Yeah, they are Got the baby crying Oh, baby, they know what that stuff is Rent's gone up higher Yes, it is Got the parents' lying. to go to a disco Throw your troubles away Dance to the music yeah. That the DJ plays Well, all right And then the lights come on Yeah Like you knew they would <laughs> that cold? The music that don't sound too good. (laughs) Listen, Lord, it's a real mother for ya. It'll make you wanna run for cover, yeah. And if you look, you will discover.
0: Johnny Guitar Watson, the subject for today's show at Sitting with Jan Luca, followed by John Cleary, and feels so damn good. And coincidentally, it just so happens that John Cleary is sitting with me today. You there, John? Is this working out? Let me see. Oh, there you are. Hang on. Yes, this is uh, at sitting with Jan. luca I am the engineering supremo, so every now and then things go off that shouldn't go off, but uh, I do that deliberately so people don't think that this is rehearsed and all slick. And I think I, so. There you go. Thank you for sitting with me, John. My
3: pleasure, my pleasure.
0: I'm always happy to talk about Johnny Watson. Yeah, you know, uh, um, before we launch into it, there's a lot of Johnny Watson because he, he was just so multi-generic and so good at them all. Um, you know, I I um, have just a quick uh, yay or nay question because here at Sitting with Jan Luca, I, I play your music a lot. I play a lot of New Orleans music, but a lot of New Orleans music. And I usually preface anything i play from new orleans by the uh, by the sentence that all black urban american music if you trace it back and whether you start uh, from hip-hop in the bronx to uh, detroit house or to a uh, uh, motown or chicago house or whatever you will land in new orleans like like black north american music so yes. am I, I right in that, yes?
3: Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Easy. Lots of music. well, New Orleans is, is a port city um that was a sort of a receiving house for cultural influences from all around the world, you know, from the um seventeen, eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds. Um and it um is a very musical place there's there's something in the soil or something in the water um it's just a very musical city there's disp- a disproportionately large amount of musical talent here oh, I'm but this was the place where all these influences came and um were then uh, formed anew into various styles that were so good that people um Embraced them from all over the United States and then from all over the world. So yeah. this stuff came to New Orleans, got imported into New Orleans, and then got exported as jazz, which changed the way popular music was played around the world uh, in the in the Roaring Twenties of the last century with the advent of records. And then um, for a little town like this, that's a remarkable achievement. But then mm-hmm. they did it again. The great, the grandchildren of those musicians did it again in the 1950s with rhythm and blues a sound that got rechristened rock and roll yeah so yeah very important
0: yeah you see you see listener it's not just me (laughs) so absolutely um you know i I, I mean johnny guitar Watson. well not from new orleans from 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 texas or already already um uh a state. I think it was from Houston, so already a city with tons of great musicians. Um, and I, if I remember right, I, I think you have an, a, a Johnny Watson guitar, right? And my, I, I will yes, have I've to. Got, yeah. Sorry. Got, I have, a, go on.
3: I've got all sorts of Johnny Watson memorabilia. I'm, a, I'm the biggest, yeah. the world's biggest Johnny. Well, I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of Johnny <laughs> Watson fans out there, but I'm certainly a dedicated fan of Johnny Guitar Watson.
0: No, which is, which is, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you about him, actually. And I, I guess my first thing I'm curious about is what is it that you, that drew you to him uh, uh, more than may, maybe other musicians? Like, what is it particularly that he had that Well, that something,
3: um, there's lots of things. I think first of all, when you just hear the music, something visceral has to happen that something has to just yeah. grab your attention. And I can remember vividly the first time I heard Johnny Guitar, the sound of Johnny Guitar Watson was as a teenager listening to the John Peel radio show in England. Yeah, yeah. Late one night, and John Peel was a Johnny Guitar Watson fan. This was 1976. Uh-huh. And he played a tune that just didn't sound like anything else. Yeah. Um, and it just really caught my ear. And um, that was the beginning. And then over the years, I've become an avid collector of his records and uh, and whatever information I could get. Um, ah. and, you know, where do you start with Johnny Guitar Watson? <laughs> well, yes. For people who don't know. I mean, all right, so just a brief, hmm. should I just give a brief description for... Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely, sure.
3: From my point of view, as a musician and a band leader, uh, this is my... Take on Johnny Guitar Watson. I think he was one of the most important artists of the 20th century and um, criminally neglected Mm. and not very well known. Um, He was a gifted musician whose love was jazz. He was born and raised in Houston, Texas and made a name for himself as a young teenager in the city that was rocking with um, guys like Albert Collins and Johnny Copeland and Gate Mouth Brown and T-Bone Walker and Lightning Hopkins, guitar players. Yeah, but um, he um, learned to play piano, and when his family moved to Los Angeles in the 1950s, he was immersed in the world of jazz, and. So he came with blues roots from Houston, and of course New Orleans is the big sister city nearby. So a lot of New Orleans influence and touring bands coming through. So he was very familiar with New Orleans and influenced by New Orleans. But in in Los Angeles, he um, started to to get notoriety. And I have old '78 records of young John Watson and his orchestra. And just an overview: Johnny Watson spanned um, a half a century of musical output and uh, would, and and kept reinventing himself and stayed current. So much so that uh, Bow Wow, his last record, was um, being digested by, I saw a young, when it came out in the nineties, I saw a young black kid in, the, in my neighborhood dancing in the street with carrying a, 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 a cassette player. Um, and it was it was the hip hop, that young hip hoppers were digging the hell out of Johnny guitar Watson <laughs> in the 1990s and the early 20s, uh, and the early um, 2000s. So he spanned that whole generation and, and has an amazing recording output, which
0: continued to evolve. right Um, right, 50s uh early 50s to mid 90s right which covers a humongous amount of territory and very active all those years it's not that he disappeared for for a decade or so he pretty
3: much disappeared now and then and then would reappear with a new plan Mm. he was interesting you know he was actually pretty business savvy and that's not to say that he didn't make some bad business decisions Mm -hmm. but he was aware of what was popular And he always wanted to sell a lot of records. He wanted to really do good business. He was capable of playing anything, Mm -hmm. multi-instrumentalist. And he really got into his stride um, in the 70s when, as a bold decision, he went into the studio with a drummer called Emery Thomas. And the pair of them started uh, recording and were a partnership that lasted for about four or five albums. Emmy Thomas played the drums. Johnny Watson did pretty much everything else. He played all the instruments. He wrote all the songs, did the arrangements, produced the records, even chose what the record covers were going to be like. Um, And one time when he was interviewed on Soul Train by Don Cornelius, he was asked, you know, what are you doing, Johnny? Man, you're playing all the instruments on on your records. Are you trying to put other musicians out of a job? (laughs) And his response was really interesting to me. He said, no, I just... Isn't that? I just think it's really important that all the instruments, the sound and the playing on all the instruments, has the same attitude. Oh. And that really kind of sums up what it is for me. He's, he's, you hear one individual's unique personality, and it's all round music. He was a great keyboard player, great guitar player, great arranger, great producer, great songwriter, really good singer, great performer, very extrovert, interesting character, very witty. And I think a very intelligent man, um, ah. and his records are an absolute joy. And cha- he's kept his style kept changing, but all the way through it, through fifty years of putting out records, was this gritty, basic Texas blues guitar sound, which would be there even on a tune that had the most sophisticated chord arrangements and chord progressions. The, the trademark uh, pentatonic. Raw, rough Texas blues guitar was always right there in the front.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, he played with Albert Collins uh, when he was a teenager, right? Who's sort of one of the pioneers that. of that. I think, uh, well, uh, I believe so. Albert Collins and possibly Johnny Copeland, but I'm not entirely too sure. But was he not a professional in his early teens? Because I think he moved to L.A. at 15 and he'd already... He was already a musician professionally by then, or am I wrong?
3: About- yes, I think that probably sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was billed as um, young John Watson. It was young John Watson in his orchestra. He signed to um, RPM Records and Modern Records and played the blues, uh-huh. basically. Um, yeah. piano and was good and was really good. Um, the Ooh. blues you know people's tastes change, and there was a new style coming up and he didn't want to be uh, stuck in, in the blues he, uh, he had more his tastes were jazz and he could really play jazz his tastes were very sophisticated oh. so he had a lot more ability than most people who you associate right. with the blues uh, but he loved the blues yeah and its simplicity and could just play you know he was one of this rare thing he could do could be a very sophisticated player but if taste demanded it he could play real simple and that's a very rare talent uh to be able to do those two things really really well knowing what to leave out Uh and um at the time the blues were rediscovered uh made popular again by 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 white english uh musicians in the 60s Mm -hmm. um all of a sudden there was a new career for the old blues guys and he did not jump on that, on that opportunity. And he wanted to do something different. And so when he started doing something different, the people who were new, were new blues lovers, listened to his stuff and didn't consider it too commercial, not authentic, not old sounding enough. (laughs) And that was the story of his life. He was always one step ahead of the game, very popular in the black community but he was way ahead of the of the white listeners who were catching up and had a taste for retro stuff.
0: So so I'm going to try this because there's so so much to, to talk about with him and he did so much music. I'm going to pick a track, or maybe if you want to pick a track, um, we can maybe have that as a musical bed. I'll let it play for a little bit and then maybe fade it down in the chorus and we can talk a little bit about him on top of that. Does that make sense? Do you have a track in mind? Sure.
3: Or- yeah. Well, let's play. Let's kind of start somewhere in the middle.
0: Let's play Cutting In. Cutting In. All righty. Here we go. Yay. Johnny Guitar, Johnny Guitar Watson? Watson with strings. Ah, that'll be interesting. All right. Cutting In. Here it's sitting with Jan Luca, Radio Free Brooklyn. Yay.
2: This is my girl you're dancing with Excuse me, partner For being so cold But you see, we had a little argument She said it was uh, over
0: I'm just gonna fade it out so we can carry on talking a little bit about him uh y- you know a- as that was playing john i just verified because i wanted to verify that i wasn't talking twaddle about him playing with albert collins uh but yeah he so before he moved to la he was playing keyboards with albert collins and um uh johnny uh, uh johnny copeland uh which m- yeah. Which I, And if he moved to L.A. at 15, I guess he was doing that at 13, 14, before he was even old enough to be to be in bars. No, I
3: wouldn't be surprised, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I think he'd made a name for himself in, in Houston before he le- took left and went to... He'd made a big impression on the musicians before he left, so he'd made a big impression on the scene before he was 15 years old.
0: So, so did he come... Do you know if he came from a musical family or something, or was he just... I like- don't...
3: His granddad played guitar. His father played piano. I don't know anything about either of them. I wish I did. Yeah, Yeah, because... So, yeah, he has musical genes in the the, the family, I think.
0: All right, yeah, because, I mean, the the term musical prodigy sort of pops to mind when you hear someone, a, a professional piano player at 13 or 14, backing... I mean Albert Collins and Johnny Copeland. Are, I'm sure have quite high standards with musicians they pick, and uh, and and plus the two really fine purveyors of that classic, uh, filthy Texas gritty sound, right? The two of them, which yes,
3: were g- g- yeah. So they were influenced by a slightly older generation, which was Gate Gatehouse and T Bone Walker, mm-hmm. uh, both of whom were accomplished musicians and went further than than um, the, the limitations of blues so mm-hmm. i think there was already a, an awareness and appreciation of of musical sophistication that went beyond three chords
0: oh definitely yeah yeah well you wouldn't have wanted to call uh gate mouth brown a blues musician to his face he certainly wouldn't have <laughs> wouldn't have liked that too much
3: yes i don't think they were ashamed of it i think they no. they, they they loved the blues but they weren't limited yeah, uh, in the same way as a lot of other blues musicians are that, that you can think of. There were they, they, especially some cats, someone like T-Bone Walker. They basically played blues change, blue blues solos over over jazz changes, mm-hmm. and you had to be aware of the jazz changes in order to 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 play on top of them. So that required an immediate, you know, a, a, an adventurous musical ear that went beyond. I uh, went a lot further than a lot of the contemporaries.
0: Well, was. Um- i mean most i mean most of his later stuff i think if i remember i mean I, I think is a lot of guitar based the stuff that he's mostly known for but it was it was he a good was johnny guitar watson plus the, the word guitars in his name but was johnny guitar watson a good piano player you're a piano player i mean what's his it, he was a really good piano oh yeah. player oh. yeah
3: a very good piano player I think piano I suspect that piano was uh, the instrument that he did most of his work on when oh. he was writing and yeah and he um the story goes that he switched to the guitar quite early on because he felt that he couldn't uh, physically command the stage if he was statically placed behind a piano at the end oh, of right. the stage he wanted a long guitar cable and so he could go and walk out into the audience and clown around and move on the stage. He wanted to everyone's attention. Oh. And when you're playing piano, you're seated and you're yeah. usually sat behind a great big lump of wood. Um. <laughs> you know. So, uh, <laughs> but, but, but piano was, the, if you listen to his music, you could tell that was his drawing board was
0: the piano. Interesting. Uh, I I have to just do a quick sideline here. And this is not, I'm not trying to brag that I met Les Paul or anything, but that whole thing about commanding the stage, right? Les Paul, who invented the electric guitar and is legendary and all of this. I, I asked him why, what was it that drew him to the piano? And he said, well... Uh, sorry what drew him to the guitar and he said well the p-, he said exactly what you said he said you know the the piano I would have had my uh the my either my back to the audience or they just would have seen my right shoulder and the trumpet I liked but that but uh, it was covering my mouth and the audience would never have saw me so I picked the guitar so that the audience could see me like yeah. it was purely yeah. to perform.' I thought that was just an interesting answer um but can you Well, another
3: disincentive for guys back then was you couldn't you couldn't get the make the piano loud enough oh you right. know, when they if you put out you play most of the bands back in those days played without pa systems oh, and yeah. you really everyone played to the acoustic level of their particular instrument and if there was an amp it would usually be a microphone for the singer oh, right. um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then when guitar amps came along man you could wail on a guitar and the guitar was the loudest thing on the stage and then, of course, the, the they invented the electric bass guitar. So now the bass guitar had an amp. And it was kind of like an arms race of of uh, musical yeah. loudness on the stage. Um, um, drummers started, the style of drums changed when they brought in an electric bass because now the drummer could actually really kick the kick drum and really hit the snare drum. Um, saxophone have been with the loudest instrument now, with the quietest instrument, and they needed microphones. Um, the poor old piano you can't you just can't stick a piano on a microphone and make it sound good at a loud volume not at all so yeah. um, oh that was another thing of course i in hadn't the, even considered that yeah yeah, yeah. In a recording studio you could but on like on stage right. it's very hard to uh, to be heard so it's very hard to play quietly and and or have any dynamics on stage with an acoustic piano
0: oh yeah no of course so can you tell um can you sort of tell that it's uh johnny guitar watson by by his piano i mean i can when he plays guitar but i mean can you uh when he plays piano does he have his own
3: well his piano playing and his piano playing and his guitar playing were de- very derivative frank zappa said his guitar tone was like an ice pick and hitting you in the forehead which was a great uh <laughs> yeah very accurate way of describing it right it's because he played with his finger and his thumb and pulled. Yeah. Really pulled the string, got a sharp tone.
0: Like, like Albert, Co- played... like Albert Collins actually. Like yeah, Albert, Albert Collins, Collins yeah. was a, known as the Ice Ice Man, wasn't he? So
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's anything to do with ice picks necessarily, but yeah. But they both played in the first position in E, and they would use a capo on the guitar, and they would just shift if their song was in C, they would just shift the capo right. to C. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and oh, I used I used to be I used to be in Earl King's band in New Orleans, and King, I think Guitar Slim, they all did the same thing basically. Yeah. a lot of them, a lot of the guitar players were pretty primitive. Yeah, um, and that's something that's sort of frowned on by a lot of just jazz musicians, um, and that would be their limitation. Johnny Watson, however, could get on the piano playing a number of different keys, Ooh. and he was he loved Oscar Peterson. Um, he was impressed, I don't know, by Era Garner. You know, there yeah. were some really, really good pianists and really loved the jazz piano trio thing and made two records, um, the Johnny Watson trio. And, in fact, if you want to play one, there's Making yeah. Whoopi, I think. Oh, is, yes. Uh, is yeah. a good example of him playing a classic track and infusing it with his humour. It's funny, but you can hear him playing piano. Uh,
0: yeah, and it's a, it's off his – he did a whole fat domino um... – no, it wasn't Fats Waller. no, no, called, no, no, Fats Waller, the other one. Fat Waller, yeah. Sorry, it was called.
3: It was yes. called in the.
0: That good was the original drum. title, but yeah. actually
3: most of the songs on the record were nothing to do with Fats Waller. It was a kind of a weird title. I think they picked the title and then he changed the material. Uh, you know, yeah, in the studio, but the title ended up staying there. But yeah, yeah, and, um, I Making mean, Whoopi is a good example of, of you can really hear him stripped down with just upright bass and drums. Um, this that was recorded in the '60s.
2: All oh, right, here it comes. We're hear something and just remember one thing it could happen to you you know what I'm talking about listen to this another bride another groom that was me another sunny they call it a honeymoon (laughs) another season People, I thought that was a good reason Yeah, to take care of little business Ooh, yes I did A lot of shoes A whole bunch of rice Yes, I did. I answered twice. Uh, I do. Uh, I does. It's really killing people. I was so willing. Yeah, to take care of the business. Ooh, yes, I did. Now, you know what I want you to do? Listen. Just picture. Picture a little love nest down where the roses cling. Gone on and picture, picture that same sweet love nest. can bring <laughs> You know what I'm doing, listen I'm washing dishes I'm washing baby clothes Lord, I done got so ambitious You know what I did I grabbed a needle and sewed. And <laughs> yeah, now don't you forget, folks That's what you're gonna get, folks if you take care of the beauty.
0: me laugh so much this is a, an extremely huge he had a lot of humor johnny guitar watson right i mean he's really funny. funny
3: yeah yeah i think he was a comedian yes i never got to meet him sadly i had a chance to once he played in new orleans and uh, i could have gone backstage and that, but I, I chose not to because i think that's a, that's a private space and uh mm. i respect the musicians who want to relax after they finish playing so if I'd known that he was going to die shortly afterwards, perhaps I would have yeah. uh, just taken advantage of the opportunity to tell him how much I loved his music and how much he meant to me. Because he really is um, such a great all-round musician Oof. and so and deserving of so much more credit yeah. than he actually got. Um, and the fact that he was able to, to, to evolve, and you can hear him growing... Um, Record by record and decade by decade. Mm -hmm. That term is an example of him playing in a jazz trio context. Yeah. Which he was really good at, great playing. There's two albums in that form, that format.
0: Yeah. Um, And good, good, good. Sorry, I'm going to jump in very quickly because I've just seen the time. And this is about the same, about the time that I have to say that if you have just tuned in. You're 39 minutes, six seconds into sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn and Resonance FM 104.4 uh, in the UK. And uh, if you have any jingly jangly in your pocket, because Radio Free Brooklyn, as you know, we are Radio Free Brokeline, Uh It would be great if you can uh, stick it in an envelope, send it over. Uh, there are donate buttons on the Radio Free Brooklyn dot uh, com website uh you can uh, do that through amazon.com there's if you buy anything through that website uh it's smile there's a smile section you can pick radio free brooklyn as your uh, dedicated not-for-profit to donate to uh also on the website you can drive uh, get baseball caps t-shirts uh face mask all sorts of things and um Sitting with me is, uh, oh, but yeah, you're listening to Sitting With Jan Luca too. Um, and Sitting With Me is John Cleary from New Orleans. We're talking about Johnny Guitar Watson on his, what would have been his 86th birthday. I thought it was 85 before, but it's 86 because I can't add up properly. And uh, yay, thank you, John. Thanks for, uh, for celebrating this with me. It's pretty cool, right? Uh, my pleasure.
3: Anything to, to turn people onto uh, the talents of Johnny Watson.
0: You, you know, I, there's also something else I was thinking thinking about um, About just the the period that he came from um, You know, the, the, he comes from a period before somebody Before musicians were, were known as artists When they were sort of blue-collar jobbing musicians And, uh, you know, in the same way that factory workers uh, Go to the uh, factory every morning at 8 a.m. and uh, leave at 4 p.m. You know, musicians of that era uh, used to go to work every evening at 8 p.m. and uh, and and work till uh, well 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. You know, night after night after night. So that was really, you know, they were they were sort of uh, they had a a certain level to their musicianship that's possible. that's kind of unparalleled perhaps they, they were real workers is, is that the right way of putting it you knew a lot of these people so i'm sort of throwing it your direction in a way because you're sort of in the middle of people like that or have been for the last few decades
3: well i was lucky to be around that generation um when i was in my 20s i was playing here in new orleans with guys like snooks eaglin and yeah. Earl king and um you know, Johnny Adams and uh long list of New Orleans R&B guys. Um, they, I think, you know, being a musician didn't pay very much money, but it earned you a lot of prestige. And I think it was just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And it got you a lot of, I say, prestige and respect if you were good at it. And I think the uh, standards were very high. It was before people had televisions. Right. Um, and the options for entertainment in the evening were limited to uh, going out in your neighbourhood to a place that had booze mm-hmm. and live music. Yeah. And so um, that was... Uh, nowadays, musicians are competing with Netflix and um, yeah and uh, other things. I mean, nowadays, I mean, right now there's no gigs at all, but yeah. obviously, generally speaking, musicians are one of... Uh, uh, provide one of many different entertainment options. Um, I yeah. think those days, if you wanted to socialize with your neighbors, you went out in the evening and you would go to where the best music was. Yeah. And so uh, fiercely competitive, uh, but a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, you, you chose New Orleans as your home, and New Orleans still has that. I mean, I, I don't know if this still happens uh, the way it used to, but I, I remember the times I'd visit New Orleans in, say, the early 90s. Well, up, up until Hurricane Katrina, for sure, you know, if people had a house party, they... they you, most house parties you have a stereo on but most house parties i went to at least before katrina would have a band playing there was no stereo anywhere in sight no, so, there's a premium
3: was, placed on the importance of live music in new orleans yeah and music's always been the soundtrack to to social interaction down here uh i think it always will be but as i say you know times change and um yeah people adapt it's um you know, they were in early days, Johnny Watson's early days, there were records and there were individuals who had become big stars and made good money. Uh-huh. But I think there was uh, not that much money to be made in New Orleans, certainly, or Houston, Texas. And so that was, um, I'm sure the prospect of moving to Los Angeles for him was uh, was exciting. And that's where all the music business was. Yeah. And there was expression down here, the road to success is the I-10 West. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um you know, if you wanted to if you were serious about music, you weren't gonna make it in New Orleans. Yeah. You weren't gonna make it in Houston, Texas. If you wanted to make it big, you had to go to, uh-huh. to Los Angeles. And he really did. Um but he had various phases in his career where he was in the spotlight and styles changed and and he would disappear. And he really made it big um when he got signed to an English label called DJM. mm mm-hmm djm had elton john and i was told i don't know if it's true but they really need there was a point where their accountants were telling them you actually need to lose a lot of money for tax reasons because <laughs> they made a fortune with elton john they, that was the label all the big elton john hits were on and there was an english guy it might i think it was mike ledbitter uh-huh. mike, who was who was very knowledgeable. uh, About uh, Black American music, and somehow I think he was instrumental or was involved in getting them to sign Johnny Guitar Watson. And my suspicion is they signed him because they thought this was going to be a way that they could actually lose money on paper (laughs) because no one was going to buy a record, buy a blues record. And he went in and came out with this whole new sound. Oh, it was unprecedented. And as I said earlier, he went in, um, and some, uh, a set of circumstances suddenly meant at the last minute that instead of going in with a band, he basically went in with a drummer, Emery Thomas. Right. And he played everything and he, they built these tracks from the ground up and nothing had sounded like it. They had a really good engineer. The record sound fantastic.
0: Uh-huh.
3: and so the label was an English label, funnily enough. Uh, and it got re- exported back to the United States and was huge. And I think the success that uh, <laughs> uh, grew, they, they made one record after another. And and then I think he started doing a lot of cocaine uh-huh. and um, went on a downward spiral. And he had an amazing formula with this drummer, Emery Thomas. Oh. And who was a fantastic drummer, real great studio drummer with a real head for arrangements and making records. And... He um, left DJM and went to A&M Records, uh, but left Emery Thomas behind. Didn't take him with him, and and lost his magic, and couldn't do it. Couldn't replicate it, and his and um, his career died basically. And I think the A&M blackballed him, and he and he vanished from the record from the scene, and went on a very bad personal downward spiral for a very for. For a long, long, long time. So we'd always... I mean, I would get all these old records, me and my buddies would listen to Johnny, big, huge Johnny Watson fans, and we'd say, where is he? Uh-huh. And whatever happened, what happened to Johnny Guitar Watson? We knew he was still alive, but we hadn't heard anything for years about gigs, or it was just a mystery. And this was before the internet. Right, so couldn't sure, really yeah, could find yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We couldn't whatever really happened find too, anything yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he was back. And he had a new record, and... um and he was playing in New Orleans at the House of Blues. Oh wow! And it was funny at the time. I had a, a new band, and we were trying to find a name for the band, a good name. I had never lots of suggestions, none of which I liked particularly. But as I was standing in the front row, I went down with my with the bass player, Cornell Williams, and we were at the front row watching Johnny. Here is Johnny Guitar Watson. It's just the a, a, a the larger than life, legendary character. I'm standing right in front of. And he introduced the band, and one of the band members he introduced as an absolute monster gentleman. Oh! I thought, that's the name for my band, the absolute <laughs> monster gentleman. That, so, that's, uh, so, yeah, Johnny, without realizing oh. he gave me the name for my band. No kidding! Um, all but right. he suddenly was back, and he had a record called Bow Wow. As I say, that's the one that all the hip hoppers were yeah, uh, yeah. crazy about. Um Oh. And and suddenly he was on tour again, playing around the States, playing with, and he had a big band. He needed to take three horns, and uh, percussion, a keyboard player, uh, another guitar player. So for Johnny Watson to go on the road was really expensive. They had to be making a lot of money in order to pay for the hotel rooms and the flights. I mean, I know this, this is what I deal with as a band. leader. Mm-hmm. Sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The economies of music. Yep. Um, uh, Something a lot of people don't think about. Mm -hmm. But there was money coming sufficient for him to go on tour in Europe and to play in Japan. And uh, he was on tour in Japan and walked onto the stage, fell to his knees, which everybody thought was part of the act, lay down on his back, which everybody thought was part of the act, and then Mm. he never got up again. He died of a heart attack.
0: Oh wow! Was that the first song? Like, was he? Yeah, he did, oh. I think it was the first song. Yeah.
3: Was oh sad. wow. Yeah. And his career, you know, he just after all this time, he was coming back, and he was sixty-four, I think. Yeah. And he uh, wasn't. He yeah. wasn't that old, but the uh, the life, I think, had caught up with him. A lot of those guys from that generation died mm. at around the same age. Guys like Ernie Cato and Jesse Hill and the yeah. King here in New Orleans.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, the alcohol and the and the cocaine and and. Uh, the uh, cumulative life of one-nighters and uh, um, being a, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we I sh- we should pick um, something from the English size. We can talk, I mean, we can, we can fade can it out. Can I suggest talk one? Yeah, absolutely,
3: please. I'd suggest yeah. this one because it, the, there are lots of, there are some hit records, ones that everybody knows, but there's a song that uh, illustrates, I think, how creative he was and how an idea of where he could have gone. Mm-hmm. And it's called Love That Will Not Die. <coughs> but I don't think it's necessarily one of his best ever songs. Right. But the introduction and the front gives you an idea of how inventive he was and how much more he was than a, a blues guitarist. Let me dial it. Ah, yeah, I
0: found it. Ah, that was good here
3: just very inventive at this point his studio chops are really up he's had a couple of hit records under his belt they're giving him some studio time and he's experimenting with the different areas you could go in and I just think the introduction is just gorgeous on this
0: oh this is it coming up right Is he, with the exception of the horns, is is John? Uh, oh, by the way, this is sitting with Jan Luke here at Radio Free Brooklyn, um, sitting with me's John Cleary. We're talking about Johnny Guitar Watson, um, and and John, is is this Johnny uh, Guitar Watson playing everything? Playing everything except the drums, presumably. And except I think I drums. hear horns in it. Except yeah. the
3: drums and the horns. But he, yeah. did, he told the horn players what to play wow I think at one point he actually there's a, one photograph of him playing a saxophone I've never heard of mm-hmm. I don't think he ever played it on record uh, but I think he knew the ranges of the, of the instruments so he would tell the horn players he would give them all their parts so oh, it's wow. a, you're hearing the product of one brain
0: yeah oh wow so he was given a long leash. Oh, well, the label was trying to lose money, so they probably just gave him a blank check and, and told well, him to go to town, eight,
3: right? actually, Yeah, I think... that's. I don't know if that's actually true. That's what <laughs> no. I was told. But it kind of it totally makes sense, because it was unusual that he would get signed to an, an Elton John right. There's no musical connection with Elton John at all.
0: I, um, I- I hear, I hear what you mean about the drumming. I keep wanting to yell, give the drummer some, give the drummer some throughout. There, Emery a, Thomas
3: yeah. he was a great, I'm sure he still is. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives in Los Angeles still, I think. Ah. He was um, he, he was exactly what, what Johnny Watson needed in order to make a finished record. Uh-huh. Because the, 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 making a record is like building a house and you start with the foundations. And the foundations have to be really strong, but you're um building a house with just a blueprint. you don't really know what what's going to happen after and what's amazing is the the way Emory Thomas structures all the elements of the song arrangement, so that when a bridge comes in, there's a little fill that comes in and, and right before it, and he does that every time, and they would start, I think, with just piano and drums. Mm-hmm. And they would record Johnny Watson play piano. He'd play the drums, and then they'd take the piano off, and then they'd build everything on top of the drum track. Oh, uh, wow. but in order to do that, the drums had to be perfect, right? And right. in just uh, an age now where we use computers, sure, a lot and recording to pro tools and drum machines and sequences, this is all before all that stuff. He's really playing. His, his drumming is phenomenal. His precision, yeah. his yeah, inventiveness. Yeah, yeah. His creativeness, he didn't get credit for, uh, for his contribution to this beautiful music. Emery Thomas is a really important musician.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. No, and, and what's wonderful about it is that Emery Thomas isn't doing much. He's not doing – com- he's an accompanist rather than a drummer. He's just sort of – Well, you when know.
3: you're playing when you're drums down as a foundation, there's no other instruments except, as I say, with the, he would have recorded along with Johnny Watson on the piano. Mm. You have to um, imagine what's going to go on top, uh, you have to have you have to imagine something that doesn't exist yet, and you have to allow space for all yeah. that stuff because you cannot clutter up uh, the picture. There's only so much sound that can come out of a speaker on your stereo system, mm. and the less is more cliche really applies to music. Yeah, and so he is playing sufficient. For a, a really strong groove, and resisting the temptation to show off, to add extra stuff, he plays. It's incredibly efficient. It's like a very well, uh, well-crafted piece of machinery. Yeah, it does. It really serves a function. Yeah, yeah. And allows mm. and makes everything else sound good. That's what good drummers do. They make everybody else sound. That's what good musicians do in general. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But uh, drummers. Have to be very generous.
0: Yeah, Hal Blaine, uh, the the. One of the most recorded session drummers in the world used to say that, you know, there's drumming, but he never considered himself a drummer. He considered himself an accompanist because it was all about the other people. Um, we are fast running out of time. I'm going to sign out and probably we should a- end if there's time uh, with uh, with one of his later things that inspired the hip hoppers. But I'm going to sign off by saying if you have just tuned in You've just missed sitting with Jan Luca um, here at Radio Free Brooklyn and Resonance FM 104.4. I'm catchable on Instagram at sittingwithgt. Um, sitting with me this Wednesday has been, whoa, John Cleary. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, John, so much for sitting with me. This has been wonderful. My, uh, My pleasure. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully to be continued. Uh, How do people get in touch with you and find out where you're playing, when you get back to playing or what you're doing or buy stuff or uh, listen to you somehow? What's your... uh... I'm
3: in the usual places, you know, there's Facebook and then I have a website uh, and a Patreon site, Mm -hmm. which I started a few months ago in lockdown, where uh, I play uh, music and provide music that you can't get anywhere else for fans who dig the New Orleans piano style. Yay. Um, so yeah, I'm around what's the, what's <laughs> and we'll be touring when gigs start up again. You know, I think at the, towards the end of the year, we'll be playing here in New Orleans. We have uh, shows, we're doing a week at Ronnie Scott's in July, ah. COVID permitting.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, we'll yay. be
3: playing shows in Brazil. Uh, we'll be on back on, you know, voraciously tearing up the, all the gigs that there are to be had as soon as, the, ah. as, soon as we're able.
0: Oh, what Bourbon Street in São Paulo? I'm assuming might be one of there. Yeah, more, Bourbon yeah. Street, São Paulo. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, 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 Let's pick the last, final track. Actually, well, what's a good one to uh, end up with? You think? Um,
3: well, if you want to do one from the <laughs> last record, there's lots of there's lots of good stuff in there. My personal favorite is "Hook Me Up, Baby," which up. is just a great pop song. He was that was being played in all the black stations when it came out. Yay, here it comes. (laughs) Here,
0: it's sitting with Jan Luca.